Thank you, John. Uh, yeah, so like John said, my name is Adam, and I just want to say welcome to the Stafford campus for those of you watching online and even down at the Fredericksburg campus. I'm excited to spend some time with you this morning. And for the past week, my family and I have been in town, and we've gotten to know so many of you. And I just want to say from the beginning, you guys have been incredibly welcoming. You are so thoughtful in just the way you have hosted our family and talked to us. In fact, I'd love to introduce you to my family. And so there's going to be an image on the screen, and you can see that amazing woman on the screen. That is my wife, Kristen. We have been married almost 18 years now, and she she is the love of my life. And our oldest son, Emerson, who is 10, is going into fifth grade. Our youngest, Micah, is eight, going into third grade. And so that is our family, and they have loved getting to know you guys over the past week. Well, John kind of told you a little bit, right, about me. I am from Oklahoma, live in Arkansas right now. I am not a Cowboys fan, that is true. Uh, John didn't tell you this, but I am not a baseball fan at all. So if you are a baseball fan, I am sorry about that. Uh, in the first five minutes of meeting John, he was basically like, hey, you have two boys. Is one of them left-handed and does he want a baseball scholarship <laughs> trying to convince me to do that and so um, and so this past week we have been in town and we have gotten to know you and you've gotten to ask questions and get to know us and it's just been a really fun week to get to know each other and as we continue to get to know each other I do need to confess something this morning if that's okay I need to confess that as you get to know me there are times in life that I like things to be a certain way like I like it when plans go according to plan. I like it when things are in the right order. I like it, maybe I could say it this way. I like to have control at times. Anyone else suffer from that same kind of thing? So there are some claps and some hands. If your hand's not up, it's okay. You suffer with lying. I get it. That makes sense as well. We all have our cross to bear, right? And so this morning, um, when it comes to control, maybe it's just me, but there are times in life when I just want things to go my way. I just want things to be the way I planned them. I want them to be the way I thought they would be. And for those of us that suffer with this illusion of control, life can be really difficult. Because if you think about it, life is not very controlled. Life is not very stable. The nature of life itself is that it is unstable. It is uncontrollable. There is always something changing, something moving, something is different. Every time we think we have it under control and things are the way we want them, something happens, something changes, something pops up, and it causes us to lose control. And over the years as human beings, our language, we've developed words to kind of express this season, this loss of control, this, this feeling of instability that we experience, and we call it storms. It's these moments when things come up, this thing where we just feel like it's escalating and spiraling and it's getting more and more out of control, and we just want it to return to the way it was. So we develop ways to cope with it, Right? We find ways that we can go and kind of gain or grasp or reach for more control. We go on our Instagram, our, our Facebook, our Twitter, our Pinterest, or Reddit, or whatever it is, not because being on their controls, but it allows us to say if there's something we don't like, we just swipe right past it and move right past it. It gives us the illusion that we are in charge, that we are in control. We make a to-do list or even a, a New Year's resolution for some sort of entire organizational system where we say our house is going to be organized this way and we're going to do this, this, and this, and then we get to February and we've already stopped it, right? We tackle email because for us, that little red dot that says 271 unread emails drives us crazy. And so we have to control it. We have to get that inbox to zero before we go to bed or before we start the weekend or before we go on vacation, we get frustrated with other people, even angry, because they're not acting the way we want them to act. If people, life would be so much easier if it weren't for people, right? 
If people would just do X, Y, and Z the way I want them to do it, the way I think they should do it, the way I know is right and they are wrong, it would be so much easier because then I could control things and things would go as I plan. We gain control over our health. We create a diet or a workout plan. We try to plan, plan, plan in our minds and on paper. We always are seeking for ways to control things. We research, we Google, we buy books to gain control over a topic. We sign up for classes and the list goes on and on and on. Why? Because as human beings, we love control. I read this story about this Danish king by the name of Canute. Canute was an interesting king because he had a habit of surrounding himself with people who admired him, people who would puff him up and speak wisdom into his life and tell him how great he was and how good he was. And so there's this story that one day Canute, as he, as he gathered this inner circle of admirers around him and they were lavishing him with praises, telling him how awesome he was and how great he was, he decided he was going to teach them something and show them something. So Tecanute takes them down, he takes his throne, and he goes down to the water's edge, the sea, the sea where, the, where the waves are coming in and the tide is rising. And Canute stands with all of his people right in the middle of the ocean right there as the waves are coming higher and higher and the water and the tide are coming higher and higher with his throne. And he looks at the sea and he looks at the ocean and he looks at the waves that are coming in and he holds up a hand and in kind of the most kind of like regal, kingly voice he can, he holds up his hand and he says, stop, cease. And immediately the next wave just crashes right over him and gets him and all of his admirers soaking wet. Why? Because the waves don't obey when we speak. And so Canute turns to his followers, his inner circle, his group of people who are there, and he tells them, he points at the water that's all over them, and he says, behold, how small is the might of human kings. We cannot control the waves you see, there are certain things in life that just will not, will not yield to our control. No matter how much we try, no matter how much energy we put into it, no matter how much focus, dedication, tenacity, no matter how much prayer, no matter how much we beg, no matter what we do, there are things in life that are just beyond our control. And it seems like no matter what we do, the illusion of control gets shattered in those moments, in those storms where it's chaos. And it's in those moments that we realize we are not as powerful and mighty and great as we thought. Those storms have a way of humbling us and changing us. This morning, I want to look at a story where a group of Jesus' followers, his 12 disciples, are in the middle of a storm that is out of control. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 is where we'll be. And if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. It'll be on the screens as well. While you are turning there, I recognize that some of us in the room may not be used to church. We may not be comfortable with the Bible. And so just to kind of set the context for us, Mark is one of the books in the New Testament, kind of the second half of the Bible, that deals with the life and ministry of Jesus. And Mark is what we would call a gospel, where Mark is writing sort of a biography about what Jesus did during his 33 years alive. It tells us the story of what he did, his miracles, and how he died, and all of those sorts of things. And so Mark writes his story just like some of the other gospel writers, Matthew, Luke, and John. But the thing that Mark does differently is Mark also has kind of an underlying thing he wants to convey to us. Mark wants us to understand that, yes, my story is about Jesus. It's about his life and his biography. But even more than that, it's about Jesus being a king. It's about the fact that he is a king and there is a kingdom that he calls home. And he as the king is above and beyond anything and everything that has ever existed and ever will exist because he is the absolute king of the world. So verse 45 in chapter 6 is where we'll start. 
It says, immediately he, being Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. What you see here, let's pause for a moment. What you see here is that word made. It says immediately he made. Is Jesus is making, it says. And in the original Greek, it actually kind of has a more forceful tone. It's like he compelled them by force. He demanded, he told them. He got angry enough to tell them, you need to do this. So what we see is Jesus making or compelling by force his disciples to get on a boat and go into the middle of the sea at night. Now, for us, that doesn't seem like that big a deal, right? Because we're thinking, sure, they've got a GPS, they've got their iPhone, they can watch Netflix while they're in the boat. It'll be a great little journey for them. It's kind of nice. No, no, remember, this is first century Israel. To them, the sea was a place of chaos. The sea was a place that was out of control. The sea was a place where evil spirits were said to have lived. The sea was a place that lacked any rules or any laws. It was a place that things could not be contained. It was chaotic. It was out of control. It was just difficult and hard. And Jesus sends them into it at night. Now, pause for a second because I think the context of what happens here matters. When we read this in the Gospel of Mark and Mark's account, we go from the story right before this is Jesus and his disciples feeding 5,000 people through a miracle. They're, they're gathered with a large group of people and they're running out of fish and they don't have enough fish and the disciples are all freaking out. What are we gonna do? We're losing control of the crowd. This doesn't make any sense. And Jesus just tells them, just start giving out fish and they're giving out fish and there's enough miraculously to last for everyone. And when that kind of story ends, Mark tells us straight to this. But what's interesting is in a parallel account in the book of John, John gives us an extra verse in there that tells us a little more of the context of what's happening. And I want to read this for you. It's John chapter 6, verse 15. It says, Perceiving then that they, so the crowd that they were with, were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what we see is kind of in between these moments, between them, they're, they're feeding the 5,000, they're doing this miracle, and as they're doing this, the crowd starts to say, whoa, this guy's really special. He's doing something incredible here. Look at this miracle. There's enough food for all of us. And so what they do is it says that they, Jesus perceives that the crowd is ready to make him king by force. They're seeing this happen, and they're saying, hey, you know what? This guy could be our king. Like, let's just go grab him and make him our king. Let's, let's force him to be our king. And when the Israelites would have said this, to them the king, that phrase had a certain connotation to it. It would have been this phrase that they call the Messiah. Somebody they had searched for and longed for for thousands of years. Somebody who would bring them peace and control. You see, through all of their history, they have been under whatever government they were under, whatever oppressive rule they were underneath. The idea that one day there would be this Messiah, this king who would come and set them free from that rule. He would give them their money back. They would stop paying taxes. He would give them control of their finances. He would give them their land back. They would stop having it taken from them. They would give them control of their land. They would have control of their commerce, control of their decisions, control of their religion. Ultimately, the Messiah for the people of Israel represented a control for what they wanted, when they wanted, and how they wanted. And so Jesus, this crowd, is saying, hey, let's make him king because he can give us what we want. He can provide for us what we need and what we want. We can finally have control. And as a reaction to this, Jesus forces his disciples. He compels them. He commands them to get into a boat and go off. Man, man, don't miss this. 
what you see here is Jesus deliberately and intentionally sending his followers into a storm. Jesus is deliberately and intentionally sending his followers into a storm. We might not understand it, and it might not make sense. We might not even agree with it. But what we see is him deliberately and intentionally commanding his disciples to go through a difficult experience so that they can come out on the other side knowing and understanding him on a deeper and richer level. So what about you this morning? What storm are you in? Maybe it's the storm at work. Maybe there's something going on at work and you just say, man, this is just too hard. This is too difficult. I feel like everything's out of control. If only I had a different boss. If only I had a different position. If only I had a different company. If only I was at a different location, then things would be better. Maybe it's some sort of health storm. It seems like no matter what you do, no matter what doctor you go to, no matter what professional you talk to, no matter what results you get, they always come back the negative that you want. They always come back where there's always more. You never get the answers you need. It just seems like there's more and more and more, and it's out of control, and it's chaotic, and it feels overwhelming. Maybe it's the storm is financial. Maybe it seems like it just, the bills just keep coming. It doesn't matter how much you cut how much you save, how much you try to, to, to get by with less on. There just seems to be more and more and more bills and it never, ever gets better. Maybe it's relational. There's just a person or people and it doesn't matter how much you try. You just don't get along. And you've tried, you've tried asking forgiveness. You've tried extending apologies. You've tried doing everything you can, but it just does not seem to get better. I don't don't know what you're going through. I'm sure we're all going through something, but maybe, just maybe, that thing that you've been asking and praying God to change your circumstances, right? You've been begging and pleading with God, saying, Lord, if you could just fix this, if you could just get me out of this, if you could just get me past this, if you could just make this better, if you could just do this or this or this, and you're asking and you're begging and you're pleading for God to change your circumstance, maybe, just maybe, the entire time that you've been praying for your circumstance to be different, God is saying, no, 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 I don't care about your circumstance and changing that. I wanna work on your character in the midst of that storm that I have sent you into intentionally because God wants to teach you something in the midst of it. Sometimes God sends us, just sometimes he sends us into a storm for a reason. Much like the, the, the expectation of the Messiah with the disciples, and God knew they needed maturing in this moment, maybe for some of us, in the midst of what is a difficult situation right now, in the midst of something hard and crazy, maybe God is trying to show us something in a new way. Maybe that storm that you've been fighting and praying away is exactly where God wants you today. Verse 48 continues. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. I mean, I love, I mean, don't miss this beautiful imagery, right? Like Jesus sees his, his disciples out on the, uh, on the water. He sees them in the middle of this storm, and it says that they're making headway painfully. Like they're, they're out there in the middle and the waves are coming and the wind is coming and there's splash all over them and they're rowing and they're rowing. And if you've ever been to the gym, you feel like you row 45 minutes just to go 0.2 miles, right? It just feels like you're just rowing and rowing and rowing and they're just trying to make headway and it's painful and they're tired and they're exhausted and they could have, man, I, I read this and I just wonder, and maybe you guys aren't like me, I wonder why didn't they just turn around? Like, where was Peter in this moment, right? Like, why didn't Peter raise his hand and be like, hey, guys, this is way too hard. It's obviously a big storm. Let's just go back the other way and just try this again in the morning. 
Why didn't they just turn around? Why didn't they just give up? Why didn't they just go back to the other side and wait for the storm to pass? And then things would have been much, much easier. Why? Because they were given instructions. They were told, go to the other side. And what you see in this moment is the disciples' willingness to obey even if it's uncomfortable, difficult, or hard. Can I just say, obedience is not always easy. Following God is not always easy. Sometimes it's hard. It's interesting if you see a parallel story. You read the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, and Jonah gets thrust into a storm because of his disobedience. But here we see the disciples thrust into a storm because of their willingness and obedience to follow where God is asking them to go. You ever had those moments where you feel like you are doing everything that God wants you to do? You are trying so hard to follow him in obedience and make a kingdom difference. But yet it seems like every bit of progress and every bit of headway is just painful and difficult and tiring. Let's see what happens to the disciples in the moment when they're feeling that. Verse 48. And about the fourth watch of the night, so between like roughly 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., scripture doesn't tell us specific times, he came to them walking on the sea and he meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. So I, I, I love this passage, right? They've been rowing since sundown. It is now 3 to 6 a.m. They've been rowing for a long time. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're wet. They're cold. And they're just out there rowing and rowing and rowing. And they're barely making any progress. And then all of a sudden, well, they, they see something walking on the water. And I love that they, they says they cried out. It's a ghost. We don't, we don't know what they cried out. Maybe they cried out, oh, holy ghost, right? Like we don't know. But they cry out something and I love this fact that they cry out the moment Jesus appears. Now, we're going to come back to this. Let's stop for a moment. Look at verse 48 again. It says that Jesus, when he sees them, he meant to pass them by. That is an interesting phrase of Scripture, if you think about it. We can interpret this kind of two main ways. The first way is we could think of this as face value for exactly what it is. We see Jesus, the, the God of everything, the creator of everything, the one who sustains and holds the world together, sees the 12 disciples in the middle of a storm that he sent them into, and they're struggling, and it's difficult, and it's hard. And so he decides, I'm going to get on the water and walk to the other side, pass them by, and wait for them. At first, that meant, Jesus, you're not going to help them? You're not going to stop and talk to them? Maybe, maybe he's just passing them by. That could be incredibly comforting because it doesn't mean, it means that Jesus wasn't just in the storm with them. He went ahead of them in the storm. Maybe Jesus is going to the other side to light a fire and have some fish. And so when they get done with this difficult moment in life and they get to the other side, he's there with welcoming arms and says, here, just have some food, sit by the fire. Well done, my faithful servant. That would preach, that would be good, right? That could be awesome to think about Jesus doing that in our difficult moments. Another option is that maybe Mark, remember, Mark is trying to teach us that Jesus is the king, that Jesus isn't just the Messiah, the Messiah we expect. He's not this earthly Messiah. He's much bigger and grander than our dreams could ever imagine. And so when he says the phrase, Jesus meant to pass them by, maybe he's alluding back to Exodus 33, where we see a situation where God is revealing himself to Moses. And he says, you're going to go up on that mountain and I'm going to pass you by. And so what we see here is Jesus showing his disciples in much the same way that God revealed himself to Moses in the Old Testament, I'm showing you that I am God. I am bigger than you think and you imagine 
because I am something greater than just a Messiah. The story continues. They're rowing, they're tired, and he comes to them and they, they cry out whatever it is that they're afraid of, right? And why are they afraid? Because they're sitting in the sea and they see somebody kind of walking on water, right? Obviously, they think it's a spirit, they think it's a ghost, because no human being walks on water, right? It just doesn't happen. It's not something you expect. In fact, it was so impossible to them to believe that the ancient Egyptians had a hieroglyphic. When they would describe the word impossible, it was a picture of a wave with two feet on top, because nobody could walk on water. It was impossible. And in this moment, the disciples see Jesus doing the impossible. They see him walking on water. But even more than that, even beyond him just walking on water, he is walking on the very thing that they are afraid of, the thing that terrifies them, the thing that they are scared of, the thing that gives them anxiety, the thing that gives them pause to kind of say, are we crazy? Why are we doing this? Even Jesus comes and walks on that. He tramples on their fears. He walks on their anxieties and he leaps through their worries in this moment. And I just wonder for you, what's the thing that you're like afraid of? Like you're saying, if if this would happen, man, it would be all over. If this would happen, I don't know what I would do. Like the thing that causes you when you think about it to have so much anxiety and so much fear and so much stress and so much worry because it's so uncontrollable, it's so chaotic that if it was happened, you feel like everything would be over. And can I just say this morning that even that thing, that thing that causes you all of those emotions and all of those fears and all of those things, Jesus is king and Lord even over that. And he will walk on it to show you how great of a king he is. He is good. He walks on their fears and he tramples on their anxieties because he is more powerful than anything. Verse 50 continues. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Notice what he says. He says, take heart, it is I. Again, Mark is alluding to the fact that Jesus is more than just this Messiah. He is a a king who is greater. He is like a God. This is the same phrase that God would have said in the Old Testament when he said to Moses, I am. And so Jesus here in this moment is proclaiming to his disciples. He's growing them in their faith. He's deepening them in the midst of the storm. He is showing them that he is bigger and greater than anything they could have ever imagined. And verse 51 continues, and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. Man, I love this. What made the wind cease? Did Jesus get in the boat and give them sailing lessons? Did he get in the boat and say, hey guys, you're doing this all wrong with the sail. You need to do this with the rope. You need to rotate your oars. You need to take breaks. Your muscles get... No, no, no. He didn't get in the boat and help them fix their problem. He didn't get in and the wind ceased because he gave them tips or strategy or tactics. No, 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 no. The wind ceased When he got in the boat, his presence brought the peace. Think about that. The very fact that Jesus got in the boat all of a sudden gave them peace in the middle of the storm. And sometimes in my life, and maybe I'm the only one here because you guys are are way more spiritual than I am, but maybe I'm the only one here, but there are times in my life where I think if I could just get my life so ordered and so right and so perfectly controlled that there would be no storms, then I would find peace. 
If I could just have this life that was kind of free and easy and casual and didn't have to worry about all these uncontrollable moments popping up, then and only then would I ultimately find peace. But what I see in this passage is it wasn't the absence of a storm that brought peace to the disciples. It was the very fact that Jesus was in the boat with them. And maybe, just maybe, you're going through life this morning without a relationship with Jesus. And it seems like everything you try, everything you do, it's just difficult and hard and frustrating and it never seems to get any better. And you're trying over and over again to get control, to get it in order, to get it the way it needs to be. And I wish I could stand up here this morning and tell you that giving your life to Jesus and following him would make all of those storms disappear and everything would be so easy, but it's not that way. But what I can say is this, is that with Jesus in the boat, the storms of life are much more bearable. He brings you peace in the midst of chaos. He brings you peace in the midst of things that are out of control. And lastly, verse 51 and 52, it says, and they were utterly astounded, right? They just saw him walking on water and he gets in the boat and everything gets calm. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Man, I wish, this, I wish this story ended where the, where the people were like, hey, the disciples, like, Jesus got in the boat, and they were astounded, and they dropped to their knees and worshiped and celebrated. No, but their hearts were hardened. Man, in this moment, they still thought, he's not big enough for this. They had just seen him feed 5,000 people. They had just seen him take a couple fish and feed all these people. They had seen his power. They had seen how miraculous he was. But in this moment, again, they said, he's not big enough for this. And I don't know about you, but I feel like that's the story of my life at times. God will be there, and he'll provide, and he'll get me through, and he'll sustain. But the very next time something pops up, I say, but he's not big enough for this. And I need to plan and I need to strategize and I need to think through how to deal with it on my own because God doesn't have this, I have to have it. And then he'll come through again and I'll say, God, you're so amazing, thank you so much. But then the very next time, God, you're not big enough for this. I need to do this on my own over and over and over again. I forget that he is the same God who did it before and he will do it again. God is faithful. Psalm 77, 11 and 13 says it this way. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds for your way, not mine, your way, not ours. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you give us stories like Jesus walking on the impossible. God, I pray this morning for all of us gathered here in this room, gathered in Fredericksburg and gathered online, God, that we would recognize that you are a God who sometimes sends us into difficult moments, send us into things that are painful, send us into things that are out of control and chaotic because you are good and ultimately you wanna teach us and grow us into a new person. God, this morning we confess that it is so easy to forget your past faithfulness and to think that we have to solve the problems. And this morning as we continue praying, maybe you're here and you say, man, I, if I'm really honest, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've spent my life 
doing everything by my own power, doing it my way, fixing it my way, trying to desperately organize and get the ducks in a row and control everything the way I think it needs to be. If you're honest this morning, I think we would all recognize that doesn't work, that you and I make horrible kings. And this morning, maybe, just maybe, is the morning that Jesus is telling you, let me in the boat with you. I might not make the storm go away, but I will make it where you have peace. Because 2,000 years ago, I died on a cross. Jesus died for you so that your sins would be forgiven, so that he could live in you and through you and do life in his power, not on your own. And so this morning, as we continue praying, if that's you, if you say this morning, I wanna give my life to Jesus and have him be the Lord of my life, would you just slip up your hand? Father, we are thankful that you are a God who not only goes before us, but you go with us in the difficult moments of life. This morning we pray that we would remember your faithfulness and your goodness. Amen. If you would, please go ahead and stand and we're gonna sing about God's faithfulness. At any point during this song, if you feel like you need to pray with someone, we're gonna have our prayer teams down on the front and they would love to pray with you.